Okay, okay. there we go. That was a count up. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I knew what you meant. Should we delete and start again? No. Do you want to? Because I did. But no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Garage Band has already pleased us out of about half an hour of our lives. So, yeah. so maybe that's something that we need to talk about. The Maybe not. Maybe it's a boring conversation. Well, but well, like, don't, don't. The, the reality of very simple things not being sufficiently. You'd be well. Anyway, don't mind. You'd think me and you were capable of recording two audio files at the same time and then gluing them together. Yeah. But the fact yeah. that you can't run GarageBand. I mean, how long were you recording for? There? Seven minutes before it stopped. Oh no, less uh, than yeah. that because yeah, we restarted. Seven, eight minutes. Oh no. Oh god, I can't. Yeah, no, yeah, no. We we done we done about five or six minutes. Okay, and. And then it tells you it's not capable of recording your voice for that long uh, on a brand new iPad. Yeah. And and oh, mine, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't even run GarageBand because it made the fan go so noisy. You could hear it in the background. Yeah. So maybe maybe. And, and I'm not it. running anything else. I'm running minimal other applications. Skype. Uh, I've got a Chrome open, which I know is probably going to be a. Yeah, Chrome is that's a bit of a hog, isn't it? But it depends. But that's that's where you know it's one. But you've always got Chrome Google open, haven't you? I mean, you get, oh, you've always got yeah. browser open. You've always got your email open. Your calendar. There's a few staple things, and then GarageBand. Yeah. And I had a lot of stu- other stuff running. But even when I closed it down and looking at Activity Monitor, like as I say, it was reporting 250% CPU usage, which is impressive on its own uh, from GarageBand. Mm. So mm. okay, this is the first first useful tip. <laughs> The first of many. Yeah, of course. Hello and welcome to 200 OK, a weekly podcast that discusses the modern web and internet security, hosted by James Beck and myself, Chris Cho. James, how's your week been? Yes, not too bad, thank you, Chris. How about you? Yeah, good, thank you. Ready for Christmas? I, I, I. To be honest, I haven't done anything yet, and I am looking at the date, thinking there is not much oh, time. Amazon will deliver like until Christmas Eve, surely. Like, do they not do Christmas That's... Day pre-wrap presents for the wife? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is exactly what I'm relying on. I'm relying entirely on Amazon because Amazon Prime is all good. However, the Amazon Prime account is with Sophie. So I'd have to use her account to order the Christmas oh, present. No. She'd know about it. No, 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 no. Uh, but yeah. no, but you can. But, but I'm going to say yes. You can. You can attach a Prime account oh, yeah. to someone else, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. However, I've done that before, and I think something went wrong. I don't know how, but I attached a. You know, I, I went to her account. I know her password, which she knows about. So there's no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> attached the Prime subscription to my own account, and yet I still couldn't buy anything with prime delivery so i don't know what was going on there um oh, anyway it's well not that's not it does work because i did it for claire okay so well, i'll, I'll so try you, again so but yeah you, i'm tired right have you have you been watching the grand tour i have prime. been watching the grand tour what, what do you think i i probably got this like it was like i enjoyed the first episode it was really good to see them back you know and and for like top gear to be yeah, back it was quite a I still good it intro gear. wasn't it to the first one it, there was, it was a good i was film. waiting for the joke and it never came yeah as they drove yeah. across the desert although i mean like i i feel like obviously they've always 
there's been this air that Amazon give them a lot of financial clout, but and they talked about how much money went into that first episode. However, the last two episodes have both been from Whitby, yeah. and I feel like they've <laughs> spent the budget, and there's nothing left. But in terms of content, I mean, there, there's always they've always for years they've had criticism about not necessarily talking enough about cars. But I feel like they've gone to the next level. They definitely the have, but it does. But equally, it's not like a, a motoring show that much anymore is it it's not like a factual car show anymore it doesn't even have to be now it's not top gear i agree with you to be honest like all the no. high, people were creaming over it um when they yeah like the first one and the second one and i did enjoy watching it but i'll tell you what's made me realize where its position is now is this is the first time my 10 year old son has been interested mm. In watching it, and he just sits there in tears of laughter all the way through. You know, when Clarkson's driving around in a car made of bones and flesh, and it's rotting, and a dog yeah. eating it, and he's just in tears of yeah. laughter all the way through. And I'm just thinking to myself, it just feels very laboured, the whole thing. But yeah. I do, but I do still enjoy watching it. So, and God, they made like twelve yeah. of them in this first one. So, it's plenty, and I think they've got three three series they got made. Is it thirty six shows they're making? Is it three? I don't. I. I didn't. I don't know. I what they've got. I'm sure they're tied up for quite a while, aren't they? Yeah. Anyway, right. I'm distracted, mm. but um, That's yeah. Right. So I know from talking to you a minute ago, um, mm. as well. We are both expecting Christmas food deliveries, um, <laughs> in in the next hour. So that'll be an interesting uh, moment in in our first podcast. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, it's not only it's not only Christmas food, but it's actually my lunch as well. Like oh, there's nothing really? left in the house. So, we, so as soon as this delivery turns up... <laughs> so this I'm, is I'm life or death. This, this delivery <laughs> really matters. And um, yeah, and if I disappear anywhere, as, as I already explained to you, um, it's because Claire chopped through... So broadband through our phone line, we don't have cable. Putting up mm. Christmas decorations, somehow she sliced through the cable between uh, our router <laughs> and the phone line. Now, I... Normally, I've got but what what was why was there what why was there a sharp implement that there allowed that to happen? There, there wasn't. Right. It's beyond me how this happened, and it was a proper cut though. And uh, it, I used to have tons of those cables, but I just haven't used one for so long. I had a massive clear out a few years ago, just threw them all away. And mm. um, so then I went down Tesco's and thought, oh, they're, they're bound to have them in there. They're all like electronics, but no, not a single one. So in the end, I I literally stripped the what cables off, twisted them together, and sellotaped it up. <laughs> so if I go anywhere, that is why it's yeah. on my list today to buy a really exciting cable. Um, okay, well you're coming through loud and clear. So I suppose that's a good reason to explain that you and me are not in the same room. Uh, so right. you're, you're you're just outside Cheltenham. No, that'd be funny. Uh, if I'm we just both outside. Had different food deliveries to the same room. <laughs> Yours arrives and mine arrives. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here for Yeah, that. so so for listeners who haven't heard us before, and they won't have, because this is the first episode, um, they won't realise that, as I say, you're you're just outside Cheltenham, I'm just outside Bournemouth in the UK. Um for any international listeners, although I'm I'm quite sure that's a rather ambitious thing to say <laughs> at this stage, but for anyone who in years to come might go back to episode one and want to know where this all started, um, Actually, we are both a couple of well, back- go was, on. Well, sorry to interrupt you, but um no. I think we should call it episode zero. Being technologically focused and I'll tell you what, <laughs> one of my favourite podcasts, um who I'll probably mention this guy's name few times while we're producing these but uh steve gibson who does security mm-hmm. now he always talks about his regret of not starting their podcast episode zero and instead of celebrating 
the hundredth show, we can we can celebrate like the 128th show as a milestone. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, I don't want to make the same mistake. So I think it should be episode zero. Okay then. Well, right, you know, we, we must learn. We are, we're only, you know, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so if we, uh, if we take that bit of advice, um, you know, six minutes in, then I'm happy to, to, to do that. So great. Okay, cool. Fantastic. Episode right, zero right. it is. Yes. So I'll um, yeah. so just finish off what I was saying. Um, yeah, we're both we're both um, just a couple of hours outside of London. Uh, both uh, software developers. Uh, I have quite a, uh, a web background. You're more on the business application software side, mm-hmm. aren't you, James? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you know all sorts of things. But yeah, definitely more primarily uh, how businesses can utilise software um, to improve efficiency and security, etc. Cool. And we just both really wanted to do a podcast, really, didn't we? There was no real um, motivation outside of the fact that we felt that we could produce one and have a chat about uh, the, the topics that interest us and, and, and go from there. Um, there's no real strong formula to our podcast as it stands today, other than the fact that it has a name, which a week ago it was not even close to having. The format as it stands at the moment is we're both bringing a couple of uh, topics of conversation uh, to the podcast. Um, neither of which the person on the other side, uh, so James in this case doesn't really know what I'm going to be talking about. I don't really know what James is going to be talking about. We might have briefly mentioned it, but not to any great depth. And so that just allows us to have a conversation going forward. And and then we'll see how that format changes over the the preceding episodes. Nice. Right. Well, should we should we get cracking? Then? Yeah. And so I'll get, uh, yeah, so I'm going to, I will I will start off with our first topic of conversation, which I'm going to keep reasonably light. Um, just to, you know, not to, not to go too deep from the beginning. And actually, it's probably uh, it's it's probably something that you've actually heard about before. So, about a week or so ago, there was this news story about an app called Instacharge. Did you hear about that one? Yes. Yeah, I did. I saw an article on the BBC News website. Yeah. Mm. So this is this is one that's sort of taken. It's gone viral as as news stories can go viral, I suppose. Um, in terms of what the uh, InstaCharge people were claiming has been radically and ferociously um, attacked by the yeah. developer community. <laughs> and so um, without wanting to uh, immediately pick sides, um, I, I, I already know what sort of side I stand on in terms of what we're going to say about it, but I'm not going to attack them quite as viciously as they might have been um, well, it, discussed it, about in the, uh, in the public it's a, area. It's a ludicrous claim, though, is it not? <laughs> I mean, well, it, it is. We can't hide from that. I think. Um, yeah. So, just shall I just catch people up if they don't yeah, know about on. it already? Although I'm sure many people will. So, uh, InstaCharge is an app, and uh, it's come out of Fiji, the technological hub, uh, center of the universe, Fiji, um, where a developer, or a couple of a couple of developers, claimed that they produce this app that allows you to charge your phone at the click of a button. Uh, so great for uh, if you are in a situation where you've got no power or you can't plug into power, you click the button within the app and your phone will charge out of absolutely nothing. Fantastic. And of course, it has been swiftly condemned by the developer community and just science in general to say that this <laughs> isn't actually physically possible. Um, and the Fiji government have come under huge criticism for it because they are the only or um, people who've actually apparently seen the app working in person. I think it- 
Um, is it ju- just the Prime Minister, isn't it, that's used it? Yeah, so, yeah, sorry, yes, yeah, so I shouldn't say the government, I should say the Prime Minister himself. However, what I can say is, is uh, since that initial claim that, and it is a claim, that the uh, Fijian Prime Minister has endorsed it, he has actually come out since and said he never endorsed this thing. What he was endorsing, or, or rather he was supporting, was great entrepreneurship on the part of young Fijians. So it wasn't he wasn't placing himself um, with the app uh, itself, but rather the, the concept of of uh, technological advancement well, that's, and, and how that, Fiji can That's fine, isn't it? Although, uh, yes. yeah, who knows what really happens? Because it sounded a bit like someone was trying to make a mockery of the Fijians' attempt to become a technological hub of the world. Yes. By, by it does feel aligning like them with this absolutely mental idea that an app is going to be able to just invent energy on the fly for you. Yes, I mean, as, as we know, the first law of thermodynamics says that you just can't create energy out of nothing and energy also can't be destroyed. It has to come from somewhere. So yeah. you can't just create power much that I'm sure we'd love to have written a program that would just generate energy. Yeah, it doesn't come, but the app doesn't come with like a battery pack. Now, this is what I was thinking. (laughs) So having read a few articles about this and trying to get my head around the point of view of the developers, you know, if we accept the fact that maybe they're just trying to make a mockery of of this kind of concept, um, they have said that they plan on, you know, um, revealing this application or releasing this application to the public come the new year. So I'm thinking, is there a reveal that's going to, to, to follow on from this to say what we were saying was right. However, we were hiding a little a little part of this story that might have explained it. And I think what you're saying there is, is absolutely right. I feel there's a peripheral in the background waiting here. A car battery. It's essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a battery pack or there's something that 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 you have to buy as an addition to the app. Because so what they're claiming is that when you when you plug in your phone overnight, for example, um, the phone will obviously charge from 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 your mains, and then once that charging has completed, which you know it only takes a couple of hours or so, if you're sleeping for eight hours, that's six hours of wasting wastage of of potential battery um, charging. So what? apparently happens is the app will uh, use those six hours to uh, siphon off energy and ring fence it and store it for for later use. So what I'm thinking is, is of course, yes, maybe there's a peripheral here that they're charging on the side, which only charges once the phone itself is charged, I don't know. um, Oh, yeah, like an inline battery pack that... (laughs) Yeah, like it's in between your phone and power that then gets charged after your phone. But then that's not really that innovative at all because they've been around for years um, no absolutely yeah okay well yeah who knows where that's going to go we'll keep an eye on that then i'm sure in january when we'll be on like episode six or seven uh yeah we we'll, we'll, they'll we'll finally release them and we can we can yeah. we can review the app and we can criticize ourselves for having been so dismissive of yeah. what is clearly going to be a breakthrough <laughs> in not only not only human technology but just physics and the way the universe works, so that's going maybe, to be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just wanted to raise some money, and uh, I don't know who'd invest in that. It's exposure. Someone. I mean, this isn't the first app that's probably made a claim that wasn't true. In the early days of the App Store, there were loads of apps that went in there to, to claim they did something, yes. but they, you know, they didn't. It's like do like those mirror apps. It claimed that it would turn your screen into a mirror, where actually yeah. all it was doing was using your camera to yeah. show your face back. <laughs> It's, it's that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's true to the degree of its actual output. It does what it says, but how it goes about doing that is, is essentially behind a curtain. So 
um, what if the battery, what if the app actually just said, uh, right, we're going to make the battery go down twice as quick, and then when it gets to zero, we'll pump it back up to 100% and it can go down twice as quick again. So yeah. actually, yeah. I don't know why they do that, <laughs> but no, I'm just trying no, to think of a feasible no. way. Yeah. It's like those apps where they used to like say they'd x-ray your hand and you'd run it over your hand and it would show like a skeleton mm-hmm. and it was just a gimmick mm-hmm. so like to show you show your mates in the school playground and yeah but i don't don't really think this would be that funny uh, no watching your when, when you say when you say making the battery like run down are you suggesting that it's they're going to be writing some inefficient code that's going to kill the battery that um, sort of thing yeah or, or do you mean faking because, because it's android isn't it they could, ju- they could just hack the battery meter Yes, so, so that's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking is that it's going to, like, it looks like your battery is running down twice as quick, but it's not really. And then when you press a button that then overrides the figure that the battery is saying how yeah. much charge it has left, again, so it's, it's faking that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. of course, it's all fake the whole time. But the degree to which your battery is being discharged and charged is under the control of this application entirely. Yeah. Right. Anyway, it's all nonsense at the end of the day. <laughs> so, yes, but yeah, I, have, yeah, yeah. Have, I have done some more research into um, you know the, what their claims are and the background of the developer behind it. His name is Douglas Stewart. You can look at his LinkedIn profile. Um, all links and, and such okay. descriptions and useful information we'll put in the uh, episode notes. And you can take a look at his history. I would say pretty much his entire career has been best at... Uh, based out of Las Vegas and we all know the kind of yeah. culture of Las Vegas is to just be um, you know exciting and glamorous and like really just park it until we've got something we can play with because by yeah by doing any of that that's, that is potentially all they want to get out of this this crazy app anyway is that spotlight but I don't yes, see how they no, turn right. it into something positive <laughs> no um, you're right but, um, purely fueling exactly what they want yeah, so if we if we just move away from that specific example then, and I just yeah. turn the question back around to you, uh, if you could invent an app that did something that was actually considered scientifically impossible, what would that be? Oh, crikey! Um... <laughs> <laughs> I know, putting you something, putting you on the spot to answer an impossible question. The thing is, right? What you're basically yeah. asking me is, what impossible thing would I like to do? Because I can just say. Oh, I'd obviously <laughs> have an app to like control it. Like I'd love to be able to be to yeah. go invisible. That'd be pretty cool. But would I need an app? That's to do weird. That? I had exactly <laughs> the same thought. I had exactly the same thought. If you're basically being able to do absolutely anything, then all you need is an app that's a button, and then the button does the thing that you want to be able to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not really. And that, uh, well, maybe we actually discovered something about apps in general there that really like. Stuff that we used to just do, we now have apps to do. Yeah. Uh, not yeah. go invisible. <laughs> but so what, <laughs> what is the app really doing anymore? The, um... Well, this is actually, this, is, uh, this brings us back to probably to a more sensible conversation. Um, and I, I don't know if I've ever really talked to you about this before, but I'm not a huge fan of the whole app model. I don't think it has a huge future and it feels like a rather archaic way of thinking. So what, what... And so what we're, what we're basically describing there is the fact that the app was the, the, the concept of the app was the not really relevant to the overall to goal was, of Turn yeah, Invisible. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That, so I, I think there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that um, uh, companies create today, or developers create today, at the at the request of companies to develop a, a piece of software or something. And there's a default um, process that goes on there, where people go, "Oh, well, it has to be an app." Yeah. 
And then we go through this process of developing an app and, and uh, subscribing to that model of delivering software. Where actually, I, I feel like apps themselves don't have a huge future. They feel like a barrier to a lot of ways of working. So um, would you just like I don't to know whether you necessarily every, agree. Every, so on a mobile device, mm. you, uh, for um, you, you, what do you want to see? Just a browser? Well, I think, I think the, the one web, you know, where everything goes through the browser yeah. um, is has far more potential than an application where many applications that we see are, are purely just uh, there because that's where <laughs> users expect to find functionality within an app well, this as opposed is, to going to a website. So, God, as a developer as well, having been through this so many times, like the, the reason, I mean, Apple just are a nightmare when it comes to this stuff because obviously yeah. App Store is worth such, such a ginormous amount of money to them. Um, it's yes. not in their interest to help support... Uh, what I would call web apps, um, and yeah. give them the APIs and the functionality that they need. Um, and, you yeah. know, it's been going on for ages, and gradually, gradually, you can do a bit more in the browser, and we can access some of the different APIs on the devices. But generally speaking, the support is nowhere near what you get from native applications. And, yeah, Apple has a load of reasons why. But even performance is mm. different. And um, mm. so it's just it's just too lucrative for them not to have an app store. But you're right, in the interest of progress, wouldn't it be great if, there was, you know, apps are compatible across all the different platforms. And, yeah, um, yeah everything could be run from a browser. Yeah, it's a, I think it's the term, the term is um, a technocracy, where basically the landscape for uh, what our options are as developers are being dictated to by the giants who ultimately control um, through what their interests are. So we've got Google and Apple. They both have their app stores. They both make a lot of money through the App Store, and it's not in their interest, as you say, to not have that model anymore and to um, pass that that uh, way of working, that way of developing, back to the web. Um, there's a, a, a guy, um, I, I, he used to work at Google himself, called Scott Jensen, who uh, I really admire. And there's a particular uh, talk that he does, again, I'll put a link on the uh, episode notes, called The Zombie Apocalypse of Smart Devices. And basically, he talks about how there's this apparent contest between native applications and web applications and a discussion between why one is better than the other. Typically, a native application is good because you want to utilize the hardware itself, the camera, orientations. Okay, orientation is not a particularly good example. If you want to utilize an application to do those things particularly well or to have a lot of control over that, then you'd use a native application. Whereas, as you know, what um, web APIs are available, if you don't need any of that stuff, then you go and do a web app. Um, and there's this constant uh, contest between these two um, these two contexts. However, he would he says that rather than web apps trying to be as good as native applications, they actually have the potential to be better than and to uh, exceed them. Um, and I, I definitely subscribe to that to that way of thinking. So yeah, back to with, where we sort of started this with conversation the cooperation of the manufacturers. Yes, and that's yeah, and that, that's a huge that. that's a huge issue. Yeah, especially when. The browser makers, um, if we don't include Microsoft in this, the browser developers, so you know, Chrome from Google and Safari from Apple, you know, they yes, they they provide popular browsers, but they do also provide popular app stores. And so I don't know where the actual final answer is, and I don't know how we no. actually ditch the app store. But but there we go. That's that's anyway. Wow, we went from an app that charges a battery <laughs> to ditching the app store in about 10 minutes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, we've been all over the and place. And during that time, my my Christmas food delivery arrived and it seems to have been taken care of. I expect you might have been able oh, to right. hear it well, here in the background. So it's just your lunch we're waiting for. I 
Yeah, yeah. I didn't notice. I got you up pretty loud, so I, I, no, I didn't notice. Also, the dog who no. sat next to me went absolutely mental because she thought like there was someone new downstairs to go and play with. Um, so <laughs> she seems to have settled down now. Right? Shall I? Um, right. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll let gonna, you go. This is not as fun as yours, um, <laughs> but I'll try and keep it short and to the point. So, uh, last few months. In the news, or at least the tech news, uh, the Mirai botnet, um, which is just a good example, really, of um, the state of the internet and, and specifically the Internet of Things and what an absolute mm. mess we're in. So, Mirai is a uh, a weaponized uh, group of devices that have been hijacked. Uh, so, and these are typically, I mean, there's all sorts of things um, from routers. But uh, to IP cameras, any internet-connected device that has a an interface that's facing the internet and is exposed. So what the bad guys are doing is they're finding ways into these devices, hijacking the device, and then using it to, to at the moment at least, for denial of service attacks. So they make all these devices make requests at the same time to uh, a website or a service and taking it down. So one of the big attacks was against Dyn, um, which is the one people felt because it meant popular services like Twitter, um, uh, yeah. Reddit, Netflix, Airbnb, there's a whole list, um, went offline. Um, and so Dynare, um, they provide DNS services, which is why they were able to have such a large impact. Um, and these attacks are huge. Uh, like It's hard to gauge just when I just spew, spew out a load of numbers. But um, there's a guy, a security journalist, an IT security journalist called Brian Krebs, who... Um, so. Yeah, he's constantly been fighting the bad guys because he keeps exposing them. And um, there was it wasn't too many years ago he actually had a SWAT team knock his door down and trash his house looking for I don't know drugs or something he shouldn't have had that was uh, a massive setup. Um, and uh, but more recently his blog um, was down because it was suffering uh, 620 gigabytes a second um, of traffic, right. which is just uh, an insane. Um, amount of uh, of traffic to be um, to be sent towards a site, and no matter what services you're using, you're unlikely going to be able to defend from that kind of scale of attack. So all these devices at once are just focused on that one place, and there's so many points of weakness between these devices and his website, routers, switches, other services that have nothing to do with him um, that mm. just are not going to be able to take that level of uh, level of traffic. So anyway, it's a huge problem. Um, and there's been loads of reports. I mean, Talk Talk's been a big one in the last week or so here in the UK and the post office. Yeah. Um, where I noticed, I noticed Talk Talk have been criticised, haven't they, of not necessarily dealing with so this particularly well. So the Talk Talk one, some security researcher basically worked out that the by hijacking the router, they were also able to retrieve the the customer's uh, SSID and passphrase for their wireless network. And right. so the logic was all the customers at risk because it means people can go outside and uh, outside someone's house and um, basically join their Wi-Fi if they've got the credentials. And there's lots of websites that actually um, take SSIDs and map them. So like people have been around driving around with big aerials sticking out their car, tracking all the SSIDs, pinpointing them on a map, and then uploading that data to the internet so people can translate an SSID into a location. And actually, right. I think your smartphone does it. Like you know, sometimes you get that message that says, "Oh, turn on Wi-Fi for 
better location but improved accuracy yeah yeah yeah. so that's because even apple are using ssids to work out where you are so what networks Mm. can you see well we can actually pinpoint someone probably as well as we can with gps by looking at the strength of those networks and things so anyway that was a big deal yeah and talk talk basically i don't think handled it very well but what i I wanted to I, i i tried to put together I wanted to see how bad this problem was and just a, tr- a very simple demonstration of how serious an issue this is and what sort of scale it's on. And I, I personally don't think we've seen anything like what we're going to see going forward in terms of the um, yeah the the problems we're going to face from this. So yeah, I, I agree. Pick, I picked one brand of DVR. So DVR being a recording device for lots of cameras. So... If you added like an A cameras up around your home or your business, you'd plug them all into this and it would record what they could see uh, for as much space as it had on the hard drive and then it would loop around and just basically give you a, it's, it's connected to the internet so you've got a nice web interface accessing this content, looking at live views or historic video from uh, from anywhere in the world. So it's internet yeah. exposed. Okay, so I chose one um, and I chose one that was popular and had a nice API because you know, it's going to make it easier for the bad guys to do what they want to do. Um, and mm-hmm. then I I used a service called Shodan, which I'd recommend everyone has a little play with at some point. Um, so Shodan.io, yeah. I think it is. And basically, it's a search engine. They, they describe it as a search engine for the Internet of Things, but I prefer to think of it yeah. as like an entire internet-wide port scanner. Um, and I can say to Shodan, <laughs> show, me, yeah, show me all the services that return this string in a header and it will bring me back all the IP addresses and port numbers where that is true. So you can use okay. it to find um, you know, servers running Apache or Nginx or whatever whatever you want. Um, you're going to get millions of them. Uh, but I actually use it yeah. to find these specific DVRs. Um, so so I, for those people who aren't necessarily as familiar with, with what that really means, what we're saying here is in the same way as you would use Google to search for websites, you can use Shodan to search for physical devices that are connected to the web. Yes. Yeah, essentially, yeah. It's it's like searching the, the internet from a slightly different viewpoint. Yeah, so websites are just yeah. one I think you know, yes, you're yes. right. Most people, that's how they see the internet. But but the underlying yes, exactly. wiring of the internet contains so much more than just websites, and this lets you search that whole infrastructure. Absolutely, okay. Yeah. So, um, in the UK, thirty-eight thousand five hundred seventy-three of these DVRs connected to the internet. In itself, not a big issue. You know, that's the whole point of them. Um, mm. In the US, 126,000. In the world, uh, just shy of three quarters of a million, so 750,000 devices. Cool. And that, as you say, this is just one particular type of device, or not even a type of device, a particular manufacturer's device. Yes. Yeah. So it's one manufacturer. It's not necessarily one device. It's one because um, they probably use the same firmware on lots okay. of variants with different size hard drives, or that are capable of handling different number of cameras, etc. Um, okay. Uh, so, we uh, took that information. Now, the API came into play here because to log into these devices, um, you can utilize an API call to uh, pass your credentials over and gain access to the device. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm not a hacker. I don't, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to be able to sit there and reverse engineer some vulnerability that they've left in there, um, which is what the bad guys would be doing. So I, I honestly believe that 750,000 devices, probably all of them, 
are vulnerable in some form or another. If anyone dedicated enough put their put their mind to it, just this one DVR, you could get yourself a botnet of 750,000 devices. Okay, I can't do that. Okay. I'm not, I don't want to do that either. Um, but I I did use the API just to see of the devices. I took a small sample to see how many people had not changed the default username and password. And the answer yeah. is one in ten. It's nearly one in nine, in fact. So now, when you say when you say default username and password, I assume you mean a very guessable it's, username um, and password. Yeah, I'm not going to say it because it will give away what device. No, no, of course is, not. Yeah, it's a five-character password and username. Yeah. <laughs> and, and is that if you, so? If you bought one of these devices, if you went and bought one of them off the web today and installed it in your yeah. home, you would be given a default admin name and password that would be well, the same as any other one that was bought absolutely yeah. yeah so it's laziness from the manufacturers essentially and um yeah. what that so if i just give this context just give this context again to people who might not be as, as confident about the idea say for instance when you get your router that's been delivered by your broadband provider you get given a admin well an admin name is the same but the password into the actual router itself tends to tends to be tends to be a random string of letters and it numbers, does now but it and, it does now. It didn't used yeah. to be. Yeah, absolutely. But what but what that means is that that particular password is unique to to that box and unique to you. So yeah. you couldn't go and log into someone else's router next door, but even it, if they were from the same. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, and also, you know, routers by default are don't allow remote admin, so you shouldn't be able to access yes. the router's sort of web interface remotely anyway, no. unless you've got good reason yeah. to leave it open. But in the thing with this is, um, I mean, the default username password is. Um, average people that are setting these systems up that just want the features that the system offer do not realise. There's nothing explaining to them um, how serious it is to leave that default username and password there when you've got an internet-exposed device. You switch it on, you get it, yeah. and you plug it all in, and then you switch the device on, and um, it, it's doing the job it needs to do for you. And unless that manufacturer's built in a process which says, no, I'm sorry, we can't connect to the internet, it wouldn't be safe until you've updated the mm. default username and password... That people aren't yeah. going to do it, and even if some people were aware, and there's a big, you know, people are becoming better educated, there'll still be a proportion that don't. And at the moment, that's that's ten percent. Um, is over ten yeah. percent of people, and um, so that translates into so seven hundred fifty thousand cameras worldwide, roughly seventy five thousand vulnerable systems, just from having a default username and password. And you know, aside from the botnet uses obviously is a huge privacy issue with people being able to access those those camera systems um, mm. and I just wanted to draw on something else actually the register ran um, an article um, that was referring to a, a specific security researcher um, a guy called Robert Graham who I've come up I've, I've seen him before actually he's sort of I guess he's described as a grey hat meaning he's not a bad guy but does things that might help the bad guys i don't know (laughs) you know so one program that he wrote which is incredible is a program called mass scan which actually lets you uh it's it's the fastest application for scanning the entire internet so every ip address on the internet for specific things i mean it's lightning lightning fast um, and he developed a really cool way of achieving that um but anyway so this guy did a test where he bought a ip camera um he hooked it up to the internet and 98 seconds um obviously being a security researcher, he knew what he was doing. He put necessary things in place to monitor the traffic and what was going on between that camera and the internet. And 98 seconds was all it took for mm-hmm. um, 
for uh, for that camera to be taken over. And again, we'll put links to all of this in the show notes, but it's well worth a read because what it highlights is even if you are planning on changing that admin username and password, unless you can do it in 98 seconds, it appears, it's a waste of yeah. time. And obviously when these things take over these devices, it's like a virus taking over a human body. It doesn't want to kill you straight away because it needs you to take over other devices and perform its function. And mm. it, so... You know, it will then let you change the admin username and password. It will let you carry on using the device because it needs that device to carry on operating. It doesn't want you unplugging it and taking it back to the shop. It wants it to carry on working um, for yeah. it fulfill its purpose. So, you know, we're probably all sat on. Like, I'm looking around this room now, and you know, I've got a Skybox, and there's probably there's probably you know five things in this room that are connected to the internet. And, um, in this house, there's probably 20 or 30 things that are connected to the internet, and you just have to wonder how many of us are sat on devices that are contributing to these denial yeah. of service problems. And, um, you know, this is a huge, huge problem. It's not going to all go away. And uh, I don't, I don't, can't see a clear answer to how the problem can be solved. No, absolutely. But there are, there, I think there are two main issues here. There's, there's the part of the manufacturer who are is not necessarily taking the responsibility required to ensure that this issue does not continue, continue, continue further in time as we also appreciate that more and more things are being connected to the internet. So this problem is just growing and growing and growing. And also the, there's an education problem in terms of people who are using these devices, one, not necessarily recognising where the security issue is or that there even is one in the first place. Because of course, as we're talking about the internet of things, more and more devices are being hooked up to the internet. Um, we are becoming more and more reliable on some of these things and a huge degree of these things, a uh, huge, huge number of these devices. It's just transparent to the everyday user that there's yeah. any internet connection here at all. No, exactly, yeah. And also, it's all these all these crazy things that um, connect to the internet as well. Like why, you know, your light bulbs and yeah. your fridge and your toaster. And, yeah, uh, and there's... Know, and they're not just... It's not just a toaster. It's, it's now a computer that can toast... It's not a toaster that has a computer. It's a computer yeah. that can that can cook bread for you. Um, well, yeah, in the same way as you would say that your phone isn't really a phone. It's a computer that has phone capabilities. You know, yes. when was the last time when you look at the percentage of use of your actual mobile phone? How many times you actually use it as a phone compared to compared to some of its other purposes? But I think what you're also uh, getting to there is that just everyday menial objects are now becoming internet enabled. And because we have such a reliance on these things working, um, it reminds me of a blog post I wrote a few months ago. Again, I'll put a link in the uh, show notes about a a pet feeder. Because it was uh, enabled, because it could be controlled over the internet so that you could feed your pet while you were away and send a message back home to say, open up the feeder now. Or not even that, that by setting the timings up with the device itself, you had to be able to go to the web in order to set the timing to say, you know, open up at five o'clock and then that message would go down to the cat feeder. Now, during that particular um, denial of service attack that you were talking about earlier on, um, that particular cat feeder was subject to that problem to the point where the message couldn't get either home or or the server so couldn't talk back to the hungry cat feeder. Cats. Exactly. So there's such a huge reliance here on the internet being available. So that not only has the manufacturers made it possible not intentionally, obviously, uh, but accidentally made it possible for people to be able to get into these devices and then t- to to um, use that as part of the DOS swarm. Mm. But also, they haven't really catered for the scenario where there's no internet connection. Yeah. So we'll do absolutely it's nothing. It's classic. You know, inter- yeah, exactly. So it's just it's not only poor responsibility, but really, really bad design. 
Yeah, and uh, but it's just classic race like development, development, development. Let's get as many features and functions as possible, and then after the fact deciding oh how are we actually going to keep this working at all how are we going to keep it secure and manufacturers and i honestly think there needs to be some sort of state level intervention to say you have to if you're going to sell devices that are connected to the internet these are your responsibilities and these are the rules you have yeah. to abide by and it should include a program for rolling out updates to those devices without user intervention um, in a yeah. secure way and yeah we could go around in circles on this but anyway it's a serious problem I mean the camera thing just highlights how big a problem it, it is and if I can find that information out trust me that's without any like really specific skills in that field um, in terms of um, uh, those devices on you know there'll be loads yeah. of people um, yeah. yeah okay shall we move on uh, to something yeah. a bit more light-hearted I don't know what you've got next oh, I hope it's light-hearted it might be <laughs> it's it's less lighthearted than the first one. It's it's still based on a on a serious issue. I've been a rather opinionated person against Donald Trump and his upcoming administration. Anyway, so now that he's been elected into office, we're starting to see the effects of that upcoming administration and how companies are making some decisions based on what they know is going to happen. In the same way as here in the UK, after the Brexit vote, we're beginning to see how companies are going about their business in the US. And one of those particularly that I think is going to interest us is the Internet Archive. So yes. I'm sure you're probably familiar with that. The Internet Archive is The Wayback this... Machine is what I always... Yes, the Wayback... Way back when. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we know, yeah, the Wayback Machine is, is fantastic because you, you can spend hours with the Wayback Machine. If there's a favourite website of yours, the Wayback Machine has essentially captured every version of that website since a particular date. I can't actually remember when it started. Do you... I don't even know how that thing works considering how complex websites have become. As well, yeah, or there's just the, the size, the size of the yeah. data center that it must have yeah. to, to store this stuff on. And that's basically the, the crux of the problem that we're going to talk about here. So yeah, if, you, if you've not used the Wayback Machine, go and have a look at it. What it means is that you can just pick an arbitrary date in the past and you can go and see any website and what that website looked like on that particular date. And, you know, it can get, get a bit fuzzy in terms of how accurate that is, but it's pretty, pretty good. I'll tell you what, look at the, the BBC website from the, the late 90s is a good laugh. And cause especially websites <laughs> that you might have actually seen back then as well. It's, uh, or even yeah, websites yeah. that you made or, or uh, for places that you worked back then. Um, yeah, you can. it's one of those things you can sort of get lost in a massive hole and lose a few hours of your life playing with it. But it's worth doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great fun and very nostalgic. If you're someone who's worked on the web for, you know, 10, 15 years then uh, to be able to go and revisit your past in a way uh, is, is great fun. <laughs> anyway, so the Internet Archive are one of these organisations who have decided that in light of the uh, upcoming administration, they're going to have to move their data. We've had a discussion ourselves before about the Snoopers Charter in the UK and how uh, that's going to affect the uh, privacy of individuals and organizations and the Internet Archive under an equivalent issue in the US are concerned about what that's going to mean. So they're, they're looking to move to Canada and move that all out of, of the USA. What a task for starters, but also so, you know, I'm not a massive on American politics, but I can see that Donald Trump's an idiot. Um, but how, what's, what, what's the biggest risk then with Donald Trump and um, their operation? Why did the Internet Archive 
feel that their data is no longer safe in the US, considering it's not particularly sensitive either. They're just one of those organisations, I think, that is based on the foundation of everything open and that you should always have access to everything. Do yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, okay. um, and so if they're under, their underlying values are that you should be able to access anything on the internet, if they themselves are then being subject to scrutiny, privacy uh, issues, and just being perpetually overlooked by a government then that doesn't really subscribe to their underlying purpose. And I think that's why they just want to sort of get out. Yeah, it is interesting. So, I mean, there are a lot of big tech firms that have all the information, their data, their users' data in the US that I would say are more more at risk than uh, people like the Internet Archive when it comes to legislation that might force them to give up that data or um, force them to give information over to uh, the authorities in the US. Nations want to attract these businesses because they're the future. They want them to be paying corporation tax in their country. But at the same time, they need to protect their citizens and make data accessible, or they think they do. That's, a, that's another podcast altogether, as you mentioned, <laughs> you know, the Snoopers Charter, etc. But they, so it's a, it's a fine balance between people's privacy um, and the, your right to privacy um, and wanting to be an attractive home for some of these massive tech giants. Um, yeah. And it does sound like people are worried that this, you know, Donald Trump is certainly going to favour the law enforcement's approach to uh, taking whatever data they need from anybody, as opposed to uh, necessarily uh, respecting people's privacy as first. Um, but who knows? Yeah, I'm not to say I don't really know enough about it. But it's interesting that the first person to speak out is um, essentially just like a history book of the internet, as opposed to yeah. Facebook or someone that's really got data that they wouldn't want anyone else rifling through so yeah absolutely last thing then so i think in the future um this this format works really well we'll just we'll bring things to the table we'll try and keep it a balance my last thing was pretty heavy going in terms of like the world's going to end because every, every all your devices have been hacked into um so I, I mean, this is just a useful tool which i this not just for developers anyone can use this service and it just solves a cool. problem that um, that I find or I come up against um, regularly, and everyone must come up against if they realise it or not. So there are there's a few services that do this, but the one I use, I'm just going to bring it up actually in front of me, um, just to make sure I get the address right. If I'm going to plug them. Um, so the serv- this service is called throwawaymail.com. Ah, right, no, yes. So I saw you did a tweet the other day. Yeah, because this, this is wicked. And, yeah, I, I look at my phone and I didn't get it and I thought, well, that's all right. I reckon he's going to bring this up. So go on. <laughs> okay, so this, so um, as soon as you go to the website, no sign-up, no bollocks, you get a, <laughs> it gives you an email address. That yeah. email address you can now use for to register for a service, or you know, like these services say, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll convert that file to that format for you." You mm. just got to give us your email address. Well, not anymore. Mm. You give them this email address, and this page yeah. uh, just automatically updates. If, uh, you know, have you have you got the page up in front of you there? Yeah, yeah I've got it already. Yeah, right. yeah, I've got an email address. I've got Go a on. list. Well, an empty list. Yeah. Send, send me send me your address. 
Okay then. So I'm, well, I'm just going to send you. What, do you want me to send you an email, or do you want me just to give you the email address? No, just give me the address. It, look, like, paste it into uh, paste it into something uh, yeah. to give it to me, and then I'm going to send okay. you an email to that address just to show you. Then the people listening can can hear your amazement um, <laughs> when you receive it. So okay, ni- nice address. They, they, it looks like they try and make the address pronounceable as well, kind of pronounceable. Clara, it, not... looks, it looks like a dinosaur. Furosumus. Furosumus. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so that address you can stick in a web form, and I had this like recently as yesterday. I was trying to download a uh, plugin for something. I can't remember what it was, and they they wouldn't let me download the file without supplying an email address first. I was like, I don't want to give these guys my email address, um, so yeah. I use a service. I fill the form in with that address. So I get my sort of. Uh, uh, email verification sent now. I can click the links in it, do whatever I want, interact with yeah. it anyway. So I'll just call it test. Hi, Chris. Okay, send. So now you should see. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Okay. Instantly, so, there's, yeah. your, there's, the email there's the email from me. Cool. So whenever yeah. you need to fill a form in, something you're never going to use again, I wouldn't recommend it for like mm. buying something where they genuinely might need to contact you about yeah. your order. But when it's just yeah. that instant, someone needs your email address, or you know, use it for communicating with someone you don't want to give your email address to, it's just yeah. a super useful service throwawaymail.com I've tried a few of them this one is just the most basic oh and incidentally you'll keep that address even through refreshes so it's maintained like in a cookie as part of a session so you can click get a new address whenever you want Um, but that means you can come back to it as well or you know it's a bit more long lived than just um, just like the next 10 seconds Um, does does the email address ever expire I don't oh, know. I see here in the notes it says it says the email just expires after forty eight hours. So okay. yeah, as you, as you say, okay. you, you wouldn't ever want to use this if you intended to, to use whatever service you're registering it with no. for more than forty eight hours. Go on, go on. Well, I say there's there's also I mean they've got a statistics page. I'm not sure how accurate it is. Uh, sort of a, a right. pixelated chart. But, you know these they're handling thousands and thousands yeah. of emails. So it isn't just uh, me that's discovered this. But um, yeah, super a super useful little. So I have done things in the past, not necessarily in the intent of never receiving email from services again, but um, being able to detect when a service has sold my email address. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so you're, you're, a G, you're a Gmail user, aren't you? Yeah. So do you know the um, the sort of like the um, addition sign, plus sign hack that you can do with a Gmail email address? Addition sign? No, go on, enlighten me. Yeah, so if you... so. If you if your your email let's say is joeblogs.com sorry joeblogs at gmail.com rather yeah um you could do uh joe Bo- joeblogs plus and then a string of characters one two three at gmail.com and that email will still go to your joeblogs at gmail.com oh, nice. email address okay. so that means that when you sign up for another service if you just call it you know if I'm signing up for Facebook okay yeah. let's say I'm having a new Facebook page if I can register my email address as joeblogs plus Facebook at gmail.com so my original email address will receive those emails and then if Facebook were to pass that email address onto someone else I would therefore start receiving yeah, emails from that other day. service so that was it now what that doesn't obviously do is what this service does is this will just stop uh, giving you or giving them any kind of route of communication to you after 48 hours. So you would still be receiving emails from them, but at least you'd know that it was them who was sending it to you or, or anyone they passed yeah. it on to. So there's, um, that brings me on to something else, which is linked to this, which is um, haveibeenpwned.com. Have you seen this? So H-A- Have I been... 
P W N E D, as in yeah. elite speak for owned. And so this service, oh, who's it mm. run by? It's run by someone that's well known in, in the tech space. I can't remember uh, who it is. Troy sure. Hunt. Oh, that's it's it. Troy yeah. Hunt, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, it does say on the page. It's like Joe Hart. Right. Um, so this service is put your email address in, and it this this place documents all the major leaks. And then says okay. tells you ah. if your email address features in any of those leaks. So obviously now, if I put in my own email trust, address here, you've got to trust. Them. Yeah, I, <laughs> I got to trust they're not actually just using this as an opportunity to capture email addresses. Oh, good news! I haven't been. I'm, I'm safe, mate. I'm safe. I'm uh oh, I'm, no, I have. Oh yeah, five my, my breached sites as well. Adobe. Oh, the leaked as part of the and Last FM. I don't think I ever signed up to Last FM. Oh, I, oh yeah, breached. Yeah, Adobe, Dropbox, MySpace, oh, Trillion, yeah. and Tumblr. <laughs> You've been destroyed. I've been done. <laughs> anyway. Well, fortunately, I, I'm not going to worry so much about MySpace. But then, I, you know, actually saying that, I should be worried because, of course, um, or, or other people like me might look at this and go, well, I don't use MySpace. But the point is, is you used a password that you may well have used on other services. So it's not about whether you use that service yeah, anymore, that, but whether, yeah, yeah. So we need to probably at some point one of us needs to talk about uh, how we manage our, how you manage passwords to avoid this problem. Yeah, because I'm looking at it. I'm not even that bothered. You know what they got my email address. That's on. Yeah, who cares? But they do. But, I do have to now check my passwords on these services just to make sure that. <laughs> yeah, last uh, FM. The thing is, I mean, going yeah. back, I used to. Yeah, I had about two, three passwords probably that I cycled around and I added a new one and slowly changed them all. And then it was only in the last maybe three years ago I started using yeah. a password manager for everything and they're all different. But yeah. I have been quite diligent since then. I make my wife do exactly the same as well. She, <laughs> she absolutely hates it. But I'm like, honestly... Yeah, and what you're describing there... What you're describing now, I've done exactly the same thing. You converted me to change how I manage my passwords as well. So every every service I use is different. It's using a password that's, yeah, you know, crazy letters and numbers, and that's all using a password manager as well. So, um, yes, but I will go back over these and just check it. <laughs> anyway, what, what a fantastic service. Um, yeah, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, on that note. So um, we're going to try and do this every week. Yeah. And we're going to try and uh, get this live on a Monday pretty regularly. Um, uh, Christmas probably means that's not going to happen. But we're going to yeah. try and do that. And then... Um, w- well, at least we're trying to record on a Monday, aren't we? Yeah. And if as, as, of, as of yet, we haven't actually released this, so we, we don't know exactly oh, no, what no, we're no, no, we'll no, getting no, into, no, but sorry. that's our intention. Sorry, we weren't supposed to be recording today, were we? I did mean releasing on a Monday. This was supposed to be recorded last week. Oh, that's true, yeah. Um, but okay, so my point is that if anyone actually does ever listen to this, other than me, me and you, um, that <laughs> other than us bringing content to the table, it would be nice for people to interact. If, they, if anything we've talked about, they've got any comments to add, it would be great to hear from them and or um, to um, uh, give us anything they'd like us to take a look at that they'd like to hear me and you ramble about for 10 minutes, <laughs> then um, yeah, that would be wicked. And we'll also, we'll also have guests on. So for uh, anyone who wants to contact us, you can go to our website, 200ok.show. That's the words 200ok, no numbers in there. Or you can email us at podcast at 200ok.show. Um, also, you can follow us on Twitter, which is 200okpod. Again, all words. Um, and, uh, of course, we'll link to that from our website as well. So uh, lots of... Loads of ways there. of getting in touch. 
Right, okay, yeah. Chris, I'll let you go and enjoy your, your lunch. See, people people don't <laughs> even know that arrived during that, do they? If you, well, it depends, no. what, depends what good job you've done of editing it, mine. I, I, I'm confident that there was a super smooth edit in there that would have would have passed people by. Oh, do you know what? Today is just like recording this now. And I apologise if anyone heard, but there's just so many distractions in the background. Like my phone's been ringing, there's been people <laughs> banging on the door, the dog's been getting mental. So yeah. who knows? But there you go. That's well, that's, we do have we do have plans to uh, to to make this a little bit more professional over time, haven't we? I mean, we've, I've been sending you links to obscene amounts of professional recording equipment. Um, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, that, that microphone was twenty five pounds, and it included a stand. So professional might be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> well, it looked well, yeah, professional. But, you know, Budgets, budgets dictate. Yeah, but if anyone yeah. wants to, oh, we like, need to set up a Bitcoin address for donations to our to yeah. make the podcast better. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we want to go to events and stuff, and, and yeah, we, we don't want to pay for it. We want to make this. We want to. Well, no, come not, on. Not cheap to get out to Vegas <laughs> first class. Um, yeah, we're, we're not. We're not listening to this podcast. Some people listen to this podcast. They're getting free. <laughs> they need to contribute something. Jeez. <laughs> right. Anyway, right, okay, well, I'll let you get away, I'll let myself get away, fill my stomach, and uh, I look forward to joining you again on another episode. Take it easy, Chris, see you later. Yeah, take care, mate, speak to you soon, take care. Bye.